And welcome to episode 20 of The Selling Sessions, a podcast about how to sell your business by the people who could buy it. In this episode, we speak to our very own Kevin Sturrock, the CFO at United Capital, and we're joined again by Paul McGilvery and Fraser Kirk. In this episode, Kevin Sturrock will talk all things finance from the point of view of the buyer. So if you're trying to sell your business, the advice and the tips given by Kevin are invaluable so you can understand what the buyers need and how to make sure your deal gets over the line. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Selling Sessions, a podcast by United Capital about how to sell your business by the people who can buy it. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by our very own Kevin Surick and Fraser Kirk at United Capital. Um, Today, we're kind of talking about uh, the more financial side of of doing deals. And of course, we've um, we've been going through a a fair amount of um, activity at the moment. And um, I just thought we would get together to um, to talk about the the sort of nuances of the deals. Fraser, you had a few things that you wanted to talk about as well, right from the start. So, any yeah. particular points you want to make at the moment? Yeah, thanks. Well, I think the, the the first thing is that United Capital were a highly acquisitive um, business that has big plans to acquire a lot of a lot of companies in the, the business that's right the building services sector over the next kind of the next three year period um, so we we as a, a board and in particular yourself Kevin look at many many companies um, and certainly you delve a bit deeper into the financial side of of those businesses so this bit was kind of a view from the other side for our audience who are, are typically yeah. people selling a business was to get an insight into what do you need to see for United Capital to be able to either piece together an offer on the buying side, yeah, on the buying side, yeah, or um, you know what what kind of pitfalls are there? What slows things down, if anything, mm. stuff like that. So, Kevin, from your point of view, what what do you what do you need um, from anyone looking to sell their business? Uh, thanks, Roger. I, I think it depends on what stage of the process we're at. Uh, I mean, there are several. Um, opportunities come our way that um, our first step is to, is to look at what is uh, in, in the public domain. So, you know, we'll look at what accounts are available at uh, Companies House, uh, which is the best uh, original indicator we have. And sometimes we can look at those and uh, make a decision straight away. Uh, either they're too small, uh, and you can either tell that because of the information that's there, or more likely the information that's not there because you know companies of a certain size only have to prepare a, a balance sheet, not audited, there's no PL. Um, you know, so that that certainly gives you an indication of their size and uh, scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a real that's a real guide as to whether it's something that might be a fit or not. So usually that's the that's the first step. That's the first step. Uh, the second one really is um, if there is something that that is of interest that falls out of that um, initial stage, then we usually engage them in, in uh, you know, an initial conversation to see if, um, bearing in mind that we, we're we not necessarily looking for 
companies are on the market. Uh, you know, we will make contact with them to see if um, they are interested in selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, really, I would say that we go to uh, what would be stage two. Yeah. Um, now, stage two is very dependent on um, the size of the business and what information they have available. I mean, again, because you have a certain length of time to file accounts with the company's house, you know, usually those are anything between, you know, three and nine, ten months out of date. Right. Um, now, that would have been important anyway, but it's even more important in the last 12 months uh, as a result of COVID because some companies have really thrived through it um, and some companies haven't. So the information that is a company's house is not necessarily, you know, a true reflection on, on how they're trading now. Um, and uh, that's when that, that's when we ask for um, more specific um, information. And usually we're, you know, we're quite happy to, um, to, to, to enter into an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, um, to get that information. And it's really uh, getting the more up-to-date financials. What we, what we try and do, and certainly myself in particular, um, there are as many that we look at. Um, it can be a very time-consuming exercise. So when we do enter into an NDA and we look for um, some additional information, it is still very much the high-level information. This is by no means a, a, a due diligence exercise. This is just a, you know, can you give us your most up-to-date uh, financial accounts, any projections, um, anything else that is of significance that you feel um, is sitting in the P&L um, or balance sheet uh, that may affect somebody's decision. Um, the one thing that we don't do is drag somebody right the way down the line into you know, heads of terms or an SPA and then um, wait to that point to, to, to look for, you know, some of the more basic information, so like, you know, up-to-date management accounts, because it just wastes everybody's time. Yeah, especially especially during the whole COVID thing, you, you say, you know, three to three to ten months out of date, some of these filed accounts can be, of course, a, a business can radically change yeah. Yeah. in that short period of time during COVID. I suppose it, it could have happened before, but even more so now um, throughout the COVID piece. So it's, it's definitely it's in their best interest to get the most up-to-date information because then the value, the initial proposal from United Capital will be more in line with, I suppose, reality at that point. Yeah, so the one thing we we, we strive not to do is just take the, the, the filed accounts and, and, and make our initial offer on that because uh, you have no idea how far away that could be from reality. Yeah. Uh, so that's why we do try and get the most up-to-date information as possible. Um, so we have a, re- a realistic uh, valuation uh, on the business. Um, and really, the, the, the quicker that information is, is made available, yeah. the sooner we can determine whether it is a business that is of interest. Um, and then what kind of valuation we can place on it and then discuss with the potential sellers to see if there is a potential deal to be done. It's, it's quite a, a good point to make as well, you know, that COVID has had you know, a, a, an impact on businesses um, within the sector and, and our WIF as well, you know, and in M&A circles, they do have a, a new coined term of EBITDAC, you know, with the C being the COVID at the end. 
So, so it has had an impact even even in, in MA circles as well. And I, I do think it's uh, certainly something that we're going to see a lot of in uh, going forward when we're looking at the accounts for, for this year and last. It's kind of, you mentioned they're filed accounts and, and they can only paint so much of a picture. It's kind of painting you know, part of the, the picture and leaving the rest of it blank. Um, what are some of the questions then that can come out after reading these filed accounts? And do you think that really the businesses should understand what those questions, the sellers, sorry, should understand what those questions will be and almost be ready with the answers? They should really know this stuff, right? Yeah, I, I mean, if you understand your business, a lot of the questions um, that, that, that I would be asking are not rocket science. You really should be able to, to to answer these almost off the top of your head, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, you have to bear in mind that you get, you get two different sets of accounts that are filed at company size. They get unaudited, um, which means there is no opinion attached to them, or you do get an audited set, which means that the accounts are meant to show true and fair view. But in either of those um, accounts, there is no requirement to identify any anomalies or unusual activities that might have caused increases or decreases in the uh, turnover, profitability or the balance sheet. In the audited case, there is a director's report where there is a little bit of narrative, but um, you know, purely from a, from a trading point of view and, and not wanting to, to, to give um, uh, you know, undue information to competition. Most companies will limit that to you know a very high level discussion on the business um, and not really go into too much detail. So, you know, it's things like you know if, if turnover doubled and you know your profits stayed the same, you know that's a that's a red flag. You know why yeah. why did why did that happen? Um, if you're running at the same level of turnover and the same gross margin, but your overheads double again, mm-hmm. you know you'd want to understand that. And at the at the filed accounts level, um, you only get a summary PL and a balance sheet and some notes. You don't get a trading account, so you don't see exactly what's included in there. Um, you don't get you know a, a, an age list of debtors, so you don't know you know the aging of them. You know you could have um, you know an accounts receivable ledger of five million sitting in there. Um, looking at two different companies. One might have five million sitting in current, which means that everything else that's over thirty days has been paid, which is good news. You might find somebody else that's got half a million sitting in current and four and a half million sitting in over one hundred and twenty days, mm-hmm. which obviously is an indication of a, a, a problem. So there's a whole pile of information that you can't you can't get from a, a set of filed accounts, but we do tend to restrict it to the trading element uh, to begin with. Because that's really where we're uh, where we're focusing on. Um, so you know, it changes depending on the size of the entity, and it is harder for smaller businesses. You know, the, the size of the ones that we're looking as bolt-ons to maybe one of the entities that we have already. You know, so anything up to maybe the five ten million revenue, which is a bolt-on. Maybe they don't do management accounts. Maybe they do them once a quarter. Maybe they do them once a year. Um, so it, it's important to have the most up-to-date management against information uh, as possible. And um, although you don't place full reliance on it, you know any elements of a forecast that you can uh, uh, that you can pull together 
um, albeit it is management's assessment of what the future will look like, it does give it an indication of where you know the existing management team and shareholders think that the business can go to. Yeah, so that that forecast, Ben, and that's that's an important point that you know, as United Capital, we we look at quite a lot of forecasts for businesses, and I think it would be fair to say that that um, every business projects phenomenal growth in the future. Um, when they're talking to us now, the reality is that's that's not quite realistic. It's certainly not that every single business would have the the best year they've ever had the next year. Um, so you know, in, t- in terms of, do you have a comment on the the kind of you know substantiating those forecasts that we will go and dig a bit deeper we will not just accept on face value and place about what you know what's your kind of advice back to a seller on on forecast uh, well i think there is an element where you know it's always um you're always going to look at these and it's, and it's champagne tomorrow um yeah. and it's very difficult to get away from that um, I, I think the thing to, to bear in mind is the, the forecast that really that you're using for us should be no different from the forecast that you're using for yourselves to run the business. Um, and if there's a disparity between those two, you really should be asking yourself the question as to why. Um, you know, the, you know, the term "beating up the hog" is kind of yeah. relevant in there, where um, you know people will. Uh, look at you know future projections and and, and over egg them possibly yeah not well intentioned but um, you know it's always on a, it's always a rosier picture that you can paint for tomorrow and that, and that's when we get to the you know the third stage where if we can get some kind of heads of terms agreed you know and we're, and we're looking at an SPA um, you know if if our offer has been built with a heavy reliance on some future projections because the company is, is going on a ski slope kind of yeah, trajectory. Yeah. Um, we will be spending a lot of time on the on the on the projections and, and doing several sensitivity analysis on them. You know, what happens if um, you know turnover drops by a third? What happens if you know pricing goes up by twenty percent? Um, you know, what happens if they don't um secure this contract that they're absolutely 100 convinced they'll win and what you do is you, you you flow those um scenarios through through a model and you just see where the the individual parameters lie because none of none of the, the forecast stuff by virtue of its name is cast in stone no of course not i think it has to be realistic i think they'll have yeah. to really uh, think about their previous trading and use that as the benchmark for their forecasting um, and be realistic about you know the projections. Yeah, I think we we actually quite like it. If, if it certainly if we believe that it's much more realistic, it gives yeah. us a feeling of confidence that the the current owners of a business know what they're talking about. Absolutely, yeah, and absolutely. they're a bit more in tune with yeah. with reality in their, their own business. The other thing to bear in mind is our business model is that you know ideally we're looking for the existing management team to continue because what we're doing is we're buying. Um, you know, successful, profitable, well-run, well-managed businesses. And the last thing that we really want to do is to tear it apart on day one. Um, now, we're flexible enough that if there is a very good second-tier management team and the owners want to move out quickly, we will um, try and facilitate that, but only if it's not to the detriment of the business. Um, 
So if you bear that in mind, you you would then be looking at a, a senior management team who's pulled together, you know, a forecast that everybody's relying on. Um, and, and we're going to be working with these guys for the next two, three, four, five years, possibly. Um, so the last thing you really want to do is to start falling out over, you know, a forecast that's been over-egged purely um, to make it look better. Do, do you think that, that uh, a lot of sellers will stand by their forecasts? Uh, or do you think that a lot of these forecasts are sort of... Uh, what what the project is being it would be nice to, to achieve them. I think it depends how bullish they are. Uh, I mean, we we've had several deals in the past that we've looked at, where you know they've they've predicted a significant upside, um, and and want that reflected in the price, and we've come back and said okay if if that's what you think, um, we'll keep the price the same but we'll share the upside with you. And then you get the no. I think we'd rather just have a you know a guaranteed sale price, and that's it. So that then questions or makes you start questioning their belief in their forecasts. Yeah. Um, and we've even had situations where um, you know we've asked people um, to guarantee a minimum EBITDA level. Uh, some of them are happy with that, which gives you that warm fuzzy feeling. Uh, and others have said, no, I'm not guaranteeing anything. And that is a complete red flag, yeah. you know, because if you don't believe um, in the numbers that you've done historically and can do, and bearing in mind some of the, some of the ones that we've looked at, we've been asking them to, to benchmark a level of EBITDA that is maybe two thirds of the value of the lowest EBITDA they've done in the last five years. If you're not willing to commit yourself to that, then again, it does raise questions about your um, confidence in the business going forward. That's quite an interesting point that um, you don't often see then a commitment on any future projections. It's, um, it's certainly something that sellers need to bear in mind what impression that gives. Yes. To understand. Yes. Look, there's you know there's a, a cause and effect of everything, and you know and the effect of of that is that there can then be doubt on the other side of the table. Yeah, yeah. Which then which then um, you know causes doubt over the the potential price that you're willing to pay for uh, for any business, because uh, say if the if the existing owners who know that business and the market better than we do, because uh, that's the whole point of doing some of these deals. Um, if they're in that position, then it really does make you question whether it's a good deal or not. Um, and we've actually walked away from some deals because um, we've just had that feeling that if you're not willing to commit to a minimum level, yeah, then it's not the deal for us. It goes back to even the legal term of, of good faith. You know, yeah. ultimately, you're you're entering into this. Uh, transaction in good faith from the buyer side. You're in, you should be entering into it in good faith from the, the seller side. So essentially, if you're not willing to stand by your figures, there's got to be good good rationale behind that. Otherwise, you know, it, it seems like it's almost in bad faith that you're not going to stand behind them. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a different approach, a different approach to internal and external. Because certainly, at, you know, at a particular level, if you're putting forward as a management team a budget to the board at the beginning of a year. That's a budget you have to stand by. Mm-hmm. 
Now, okay, there will be ups and downs in that. There are explanations as to why you under or overperform, but you know, broadly, there is an expectation that the budget is there, and that is the expectation from the board that the management team will deliver. So, if you're doing that normally when you run the business, then it shouldn't really be a surprise that any potential buyer would be expecting you to do the same thing. Okay, you mentioned uh, you mentioned heads of terms and SPAs earlier, Kevin. Um, so just to kind of explain our 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 process, United mm-hmm. Capital's process. Uh, of acquiring businesses, we go through a kind of initial fact-finding mission. We engage with um, with companies that are looking to sell, or, or we are looking to buy them. Um, and basically, the kind of first um, major milestone is to reach heads of terms agreement yeah. Yeah. Um, on commercials and, and things like that. Do they need to have? Um, do they need to have full financial information or provide fi- full financial information? for us to get to that point. Because I know that we often find quite a slowing down as then sellers go to say, I, I need to go and prepare some accounts for you. Mm-hmm. Do we, what level do we need there? Do we need everything to get to heads of terms? Or can we agree heads of terms and then get it through the diligence process? What, what's the yeah, no, there, there, there's, a, there's a certain minimum level that you, a level of information that you would need to get uh, to the heads of terms stage. Uh, and it's predominantly the most up-to-date financial information that's available. Uh, and the sooner that that is made available to us, then the sooner we can come up with a realistic uh, value on uh, on the on the prospect and um, and get the heads of terms. And the reason we do this is it'd be very easy to run down uh, run down the road on spending significant uh, amounts of money on legal fees, diligence fees. On, on a deal that uh, at the end of the day is going to take you down a cul-de-sac. Um, and we think that's for the benefit of us and any uh, potential seller. Because a very time-consuming exercise is a very wearing exercise as well. You know, it's it's not, um, a lot of these are not easy. Um, so you can be tied up in a transaction for, you know, quite some time. I mean, we, would like to pride ourselves on the fact that from the point that we've actually agreed heads of terms, um, that might have taken quite some time to get there, uh, but from the point of heads of terms to actually signing an SPA, we reckon we can do it in about three months, um, which then focuses everybody's mind. On the, uh, on the larger deals. On the, on the larger deals, certainly, yes. I mean, there are some of the smaller ones that you know we'll take a view on. And we can do, you know, in a man, in a matter of weeks. Um, and you know, a couple we've done recently have been less than a couple of weeks. Um, and it gets back to that risk and reward piece. You know, what if you look at a transaction and it's worth doing? If it's at a particular level, then you say, well, what what are the real risks associated with this? And just focus on them. Um, and that's where we're flexible enough. And sometimes we'll just do the diligence ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because that's all we think it requires, but on the bigger transactions, you know, we do go out for you know third-party diligence. But most of it is around about the legal side, because we've probably done a lot of the the financial diligence, um, you know, going backwards. Um, and if you got external financial diligence, a lot of what they do is providing trends for the last two three years, mm-hmm. um, none of which 
by the time we get to the point of an SPA for us, is particularly relevant. Right. You know, we're more focused on, um, you know, what what the business can do going forwards and what yeah. kind of valuation is on it right now, together with the the actual structure of the deal. And is that more true, having come through COVID, that actually looking backwards is even less relevant now because all the world's just so different. Yeah, it, I mean, it is, it is less relevant. Um, because you know as paul said um you know there is almost a new term now um instead of the regular EBITDA, because virtually everybody's had uh furlough claims um now the the way the, the profession has deemed to show these in financial statements seems to have been along the lines of other operating income uh, now that then, because of a different line in the accounts, that then depresses your margin because all your costs are um, up top before you get to your, your gross profit and your other operating income is further down. So the only time that they actually catch up with themselves is by the time you get to you know an operating profit value. So it's very difficult to tell on, on, uh, on the margins, the effect that, that COVID has actually had. Uh, and for some businesses as well, they've had um, non-repayable grants, um, you know, of maybe 150,000. Now, depending on the size of the business, that could be a significant adjustment to the P&L um, that, uh, that you'd have to take into account because that's a non-recurring, it's a non-recurring transaction. You know, it's peculiar to COVID and, you know, touch wood as long as we all have COVID-20. Um, yeah. it's uh, it, it's a non-recurring event yeah. um, so you can't guarantee on that as, as profit going forward so yeah it's become looking backwards has become less relevant um, but sometimes it's the only information you have mm-hmm. um, certainly on the smaller businesses who, who don't run forecasts who don't run budgets you know history is the best um, example you have of reality uh, and sometimes we have to take a view on the smaller ones where we go okay covid was a hiccup but for the five years prior to covid they regularly did the turnover yeah, okay. profit of x y and z um so the chances are you know they'll do that again it's 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 not dissimilar to you know looking at um if you're looking at the, you know the forecast for um for a supermarket you know, so when a supermarket closes its doors uh, at, let's say, 10 o'clock on a Thursday night, they have no customers for Friday morning. But history and precedent suggests that the footfall will be why, because there were so many weeks, months, years of history, which will build up a, a, a value that they could put into an algorithm, which yes. tends to suggest that their turnover for a Friday in mid-November will normally be X. Although conversely, we have some, seen some business that have done fantastically during the COVID period, yeah, particularly down south because of the, without the, you know, down in, in England. Yeah, because of the different restrictions, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that gives us, that gives us exactly the same problem, just the other way around. Yeah, yeah. You know, where you've got a company that, that does exceptionally well through COVID, but might fall back yeah. <laughs> um, when the rest of the competition catches up in a non-COVID period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might just be because of the type of contracts they were on or the relationship they had with the clients because um, even in England uh, there were some uh, 
clients that guys were working with who just didn't want them on site. Right. Other ones were going, well, if they're not on that side there, we'll have double or treble the amount because we want to crack on with uh, with what we've got to do. So, um, you know, the, the, the COVID period, let's say from, you know, March last year to, to even now um, is a difficult one, either as an upside or a downside, because it's not, historically, it's not a reflection of reality. Now, this may be our new reality. You know, this 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 may be what life is will be like. I say whether it's a COVID nineteen or another pandemic or something like that. Maybe this is the new norm. But we're not going to know that until we're another 12, 24 months, thirty-six months down the line. Um but I say sometimes, you know, you just have to take a view. Okay. And in terms of then, so we're talking about obviously the, the financial part of, of this and how we look into it. And um, I suppose there's, there is a lot beyond the numbers, beyond those figures. And um, I know you go out and meet with a lot of companies to discuss, I suppose, what's in the finances plus then extra stuff. How, how much weight goes on to that side of stuff? A lot, I would have said. I mean, it's it's probably it's it's one of the aspects that uh, that I really enjoy about this process that we're doing just now. It's not just you know a case of looking at the numbers. You know, it's a case of trying to take all the other pieces of the jigsaw and pull them together. As far as the numbers are concerned, uh, if if you were to ask me how much weight they have in relation to the other aspects that we we look at in the business, my personal view is fifty fifty. You know, you could have a stunning set of numbers on a company that is not affected, will never be affected, has the wrong kind of customers, wrong kind of geographical base, uh, a seller that doesn't want to sell, um, who doesn't want to stay. You know, you'd really be locking horns from the, from the very beginning, bearing in mind that, you know, we want to work with these guys going forwards because you're coming into the United Capital family. The last thing we want is to have a you know an unwilling seller who feels almost forced to stay, you know, for a you know a two, three, four year period. Um, and when you when you when you meet these guys, I mean you'll know because well, when all three of us have been there and all three of us have been you know at some of the same meetings, you get a feel for you know what people are like. And uh, you know, call it old fashioned, but you know, we've done we've done some of these on Teams or Zoom or uh, you know any other type of uh, you know longer distance call, but it's not quite the same as actually turning up and seeing somebody in three D and watching the you know the whites of their eyes and they actually have the discussion. You can you can get much more from somebody across the table than you can. Uh, even with the most modern technology, and I think that, that goes for both sides. You know, for both the seller, you know, they, they, they can see who you are and what you're all about, and vice versa, the, the buyer can see who you are and what you're all about as well. And uh, you know, let, let's be let's be honest. You know, well, it probably does happen in, 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 in the modern world. You know, most people who are looking to sell a business, particularly in, in our sector, you know, you you, you are wanting to. To, to know who it is that you're actually going to be selling your business to, not be someone who you've only met on Teams, you know, or on yeah, the, it, or any of the other platforms, you know. That's how I feel. As well. Yeah, I think it's, this is a. I personally, I think it's a really important point for for sellers, especially those who haven't been through the process. 
before and we hear this often um, you know it's not it's not quite the right time for us and you know that's because they're trying to make sure they've got the best possible set yeah. set of numbers and I accept that that's a sensible thing to do but actually we could make an offer that might not be too dissimilar to what we would make in six months time you know based on the fact that it's the right business for us the numbers are good still and mm -hmm. um, it fits with what we want to achieve meanwhile they're delaying the process kicking the can further down the road to get to, to have what they think is the perfect set of numbers and the reality is it might start to go down because none of us know what's ahead of us none of us could have predicted the the covid environment um but we do find often that people only think that the, the numbers are important i think only the numbers are important and they run the risk that um you know that the inevitable happens that you know they have a bit of a downturn sorry sorry no, i was just going to say you know on that point you know you, you don't want to be the one who's just in time to be too late exactly. you know and, and, if, and you do see that uh, in some deals you know they, they they're, they're engaged and then they think you know there'll, there'll be a perfect time there's going to be a perfect time that, that you know all the stars will align or what have you um, and, and of course, then it doesn't come, and uh, and then of course, then they've missed an opportunity. I mean, uh, the one uh, one that I got recently was uh, was one during the, the dot com bubble, um, and of course, it was offered uh, a phenomenal amount of money, and uh, you know they hummed and had about it for a year and a half, and uh, by the time the year and a half was out, the, the business was worth nothing because the bubble had burst, and then that they, they run that ran that risk and lost out on several million uh, as a result. So. You know, the last thing you want to be is just in time to be too late. I think one of the other things as well that would be that would be a real shame is if you're selling a business and you don't think it's the right time because you think you can get to a higher turnover, higher EBITDA, um, and therefore get a higher price. You'll go down that road and maybe 18 months time you'll come back and you go, right, we're ready to do the deal now. And from our point of view, because you've had in your mind the route that you want to take to grow the business, it might be completely the wrong route from where we want to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, you could you could find you could find companies and no longer meets our criteria. Well, diversifying into something that is absolutely no interest to us, right? Yeah. Whatsoever, or or going and picking up contracts from clients who we would consider to be too risky. Or just not somebody that we want to we want to be dealing with. Um, so because they're single-minded and this is what I think I need to get to, you know, a bigger profit number to increase the EBITDA. That's not necessarily the case. You might find that that business actually becomes less attractive because of the route we took to get to that point. Yeah. Um, rather than actually being more attractive. Okay. Yeah, I think we're you know we're getting close to the the end of our time so let's um, let's kind of recap back then and some of the kind of main points you've made kevin and for me that's it's been we do need this information it needs to be accurate we need to get it in a in a reasonable time frame and mm -hmm. um, you should be able to put your hands on this stuff so basically be prepared yeah i tell you it is a be prepared i mean what um what i've looked at in the past is as far as possible Try and not leave too much debris behind you. You know, always go on the basis that you know somebody at some point may want to come along, uh, you know, and make you an offer, or you may want to exit at some point yourself. You know, don't just build up problems. 
you know, over and over yeah, keep again. Keep your house in order as you go. Yeah, on. it is a bit of a keep your house in order because um, you never know what's what's coming around the corner tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, is there any sort of uh, key learning lessons, hints, and tips that you've got over the years of experience as well? Uh, just obviously succinctly as we're closing up. Yeah, just, just what I said before, you know, try and keep things as tidy and uh, uncomplicated as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, make sure you have you know, the core documentation available, things like, you know, it sounds obvious when we talk about it um, just around the table of three of us, but things like, you know, main contracts, the terms of them, the main rates, mm-hmm. contracts of employment for employees, you know, don't build up a problem by not having, like, employment contracts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the point where you go and, you go and try and do a sale because somebody's going to look at it and, and say, well, you haven't got any employment contracts. So, yeah. yeah. That that then becomes a problem for us, you know. So, so we, is that as an answer to you know they've they've showed us the numbers and then your question is prove it. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. We expect that yeah. they're able to. Of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know that's uh, that's what I would say be the key thing. Any other final thoughts, Fraser? No, I think I think for me the most important bit. You know, obviously I'm I'm not from a finance background, so the most important bit to me was for sellers to understand that we look beyond the numbers. Mm-hmm. So as much as the numbers are very, very important, it is also about them being able to tell the story behind those numbers, as in how they arrived there, what the future looks like. It's that story behind it, and which you can tell a marketer, and the story behind those numbers is almost as important. And if they, they can't do that, then it's difficult for us to really get engaged and excited about a business just looking at some numbers on a sheet. And that's really important. And from my point of view, for, for a seller to understand that if they if they truly understand their numbers, where they came from, and then how they arrived at their forecast, they should be able to tell that story to anyone, including ourselves, if if we're interested, and um, and and you know we should be brought along on that that story, that journey with them. Yeah. Now, that's when you asked me the question earlier, you know, about you know what kind of weighting would you put to them, and I said you know probably about 50-50. You know the way the way we approach any of these potential transactions, it's it's not computer says yes or computer says no issue. You know there's a certain element that is based on the numbers, but there's a whole pile of softer issues around about there. That um, I say from my perspective, we come up to about fifty percent of the the um, the the consideration when you're deciding whether it's a good thing or not to do. I would say as well, you know, just on that final point, you know, stand by your numbers. You know, if you if you're if you're confident in your numbers, you know, absolutely stand by them. Um, I, I don't, you know, it's it's one of these ones that uh, you know, it is, it is quite off-putting as a buyer if, if they're not prepared to stand by your, your your numbers and their numbers as well. So, um, but no, thanks very much, guys, for your 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 thoughts, your your insights today. It's really appreciated. Um, I um, obviously, I think that one of the key things we've we've uh, got today is that you know and be prepared again you know uh, make sure that you've done your homework so so thanks very much for that um and uh, we'll, we'll draw that one to a close brilliant thank you oh, cheers thanks.
And that's it for episode 21 of The Selling Sessions. Thanks again for listening. And a huge thanks, as always, to our podcast sponsor, Affinity Business Centre, which is a modern and affordable business centre based in Dundee in Scotland. If you're in the market for quality and affordable offices for your business, please check them out at affinitybusinesscentre.com.